The human spirit is unconquerable. We are individuals and we are sovereign, born with unlimited potential, gifted from our creator. Our mission is to break free from the systems that bind us. I volunteer as tribute. We strive for peace and prosperity and overcome all challenges, roadblocks, and obstacles. We are empowered because we think for ourselves and we act for ourselves. We are self-reliant and independent, but guided by the wisdom of those who share our values. What possible difference can I make? There is no government, no ruler, nor ideas that are able to stop us. We are driven to succeed because we seek political freedom, financial freedom, and spiritual freedom. It's all for nothing if you don't have freedom. This is Mike Corbell, and you are listening to The Invictus Mind. Well, hey, welcome back, my friends. This is the Invictus Mind podcast, the number one show dedicated to becoming unconquerable through personal growth, self-improvement, and association, where every discussion helps us achieve political freedom, financial freedom, and spiritual freedom. This is your host, Mike Corbell, and I'm happy to be here and happy for everyone joining us today. Online with me is another commentator in the world of libertarian podcasts. He, of course, is a host of the Liberty Lockdown podcast. He's originally from California and has a background as a private money mortgage broker, but is now retired and plans on spreading his message through his podcast to anyone who's willing to hear it. So let me introduce Clint from Liberty Lockdown. How are you doing today, dude? I am good, Michael. Thank you so much for having me on. Awesome. You know, I'm starting to think that those of us who do podcasts are living in some kind of bubble here. <laughs> I would say we are. Yes, it's a it's a fairly large one, but it is a bubble nonetheless. A lot of our shows are crossover episodes. We have the similar guests on. Uh, you know, I found you on Free Man Beyond the Wall, and of course on Dave Smith's podcast, Part of the Problem. But uh, some of the guests you've had on, I've had on as well. So exactly, yeah. It's, I mean, there's probably like I don't know, fifty of us that kind of run in this circuit of just everybody helping each other out. And I think it's a beautiful thing. It's like a little, little voluntary collective. <laughs> so you have just a few more episodes than I do. We started about the same time back at towards the end of 2019 is when I started, but uh, dude, you've taken off a lot faster than me and I can only attribute it to one thing. What's that? Your, vo- your voice is way more sexy than mine is. <laughs> the the voice is very key. It is. Uh, I've definitely, I've had people uh, DM me saying that they use my podcast to fall asleep. And I was like, well, that, that kind of hurts my feelings a little bit, but if you're listening, I'll take it, you know? There you go. Cool. Hey, I got to ask you, uh, the music you have in your show, is that something that you wrote or you had some friends in a studio that did that or? Yeah, no, that's me. Yeah, I did that. Okay. So you're a musician? I would no, I would not say I'm a musician. Um, I am your average suburban white rapper who uh, <laughs> who likes to spit bars because they grew up on hip hop in the '90s. I, uh, I am not. I am definitely not a musician, though. Okay, cool, cool. Well, it's catchy anyway, so I just crack up every time I hear the end of it. So yeah, no, I appreciate it. Uh, people seem to love it. It was, it honestly, it was just a uh, a marketing ploy when I when I first started the show. I had you know, 10 or 11 people that I really, that had inspired me to get into the space. And I wanted to shout them out on this song so that I could be like, I'm going to share this now and hopefully it'll get to them somehow. And they'll be like, oh, wow, this guy, you know, I like the song. I like the fact that I'm being referenced and, and I'll see if I'll, you know, if I'll go on his show sometime. And sure enough, I've had, I think eight of the 11 people that I referenced in that song on my show already. I, I only have like Tom Woods and Eric July and Maj Ture. Those are the last three I need. So anybody listening, go out there and bother those guys to come on Liberty Lockdown, right? There you go. Well, you're on a roll. You've had all my favorite people on your show already, and I can't spit any lyrics out, so I'm not going to be using that uh, the same marketing strategy there. <laughs> hey, there's no patent on this uh, on this concept. So anybody out there that can do it, go for it. Well, well, Clint, I, uh, I really appreciate uh, you connecting with me today because uh, I think you and I share a lot in common. Not only are we uh, you know, podcasters in a liberty, in libertarian world, but uh, I think just some of your background uh, I really resonate with. You, uh, you have a background in the money industry, and I think that's mm-hmm. why I wanted to connect with you the most because, of, of course, as I said at the top here, I, I like to talk about political freedom and, and, of course, financial freedom. My last show, we had David Gornaski on, so we had a little spirituality there. I'll, I'll spare you from that today. But, uh, oh, no, I, I, lo- like- I love David Gornaski, so don't, don't spare me if you don't want to. <laughs> but uh, definitely, I want to talk a little bit about some of the financial aspects to uh, getting us freedom. 
Tell me a little bit about yourself, because uh, from what I hear on your podcast, you are uh, in your late 30s and, and you claim to be retired. You've, you've done well for yourself financially, and now you're able to be a podcaster full time. Yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm actually retired. I'm just kind of in a transition period to uh, another career that I don't need any resources to be able to do because I have saved and accumulated enough wealth that I have that flexibility. And that's the financial freedom that I talk about on my show is that, you know, if you, if you're in a paycheck to paycheck type of situation and you encounter a series of circumstances that, that you want to, you know, shift, you want to change, you want to speak out, you want to take a risk, uh, that becomes very, very difficult. And because of, you know, a lot of pre-planning and a lot of passive income and investment strategy and, and diligence in that arena for the past 15 years, I have gotten to a position where I don't have to worry about that. And I am now capable of taking this risk in a political climate where many people don't feel like they are capable of doing the same thing. So part of my show is trying to kind of school people up on how to manage their personal finances and, and gain some wealth. Um, but also the other side of my show is speaking out for those that can't, you know, the people that are concerned about vaccine passports at their work or are concerned about the lockdowns or the tyrannical nature of our trajectory of our government. Um, those are all things that a lot of people feel really concerned about, but are un unable or unwilling, uh, given their circumstances, to talk about. So I think that it's really important that for those that understand Austrian economics in particular, uh, there's really no excuse. You understand the system better than 95% of people. And I'm just trying to inspire people to you know, use those lessons and use that competitive advantage to better themselves and better their family's circumstance so that they can take some risks alongside me. Yeah, right on. I had a mentor one time that said that the only liberty that you really have is financial freedom. And so it breaks my heart when I see a lot of uh, your run-of-the-mill libertarians who are absolutely broke and they're talking about liberty. And I'm like, well, you're not even living by what you're talking about. How, how can you claim to be talking about liberty if, if you're living paycheck to paycheck and you're up to years in debt and you don't really have any plan for the future? It's true. Yeah. And, you know, I, I try not to shame people in it. You know, it's like, I understand just because you have the information doesn't mean that you're capable of utilizing it, but you're one step closer than the rest of the world, you know, because a lot of people don't even have any clue what we're talking about when we talk about delayed gratification and, and passive income and investing for your future. Like a lot of people just aren't taught that as kids. If you're a libertarian, much of your reading is about that type of thing. And I just think it's really important that if you have that ideology and you want to convey it to people in a way that's compelling you have to be practicing and living it so that people actually look at you and they go, this guy practices what he preaches. You know, who wants to follow someone who's talking but not doing? And, and because I have already done it, uh, I think that that gives me a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of credence to my words and, and people seem to, to have come along for the ride with me. Right on, right on. So talk a little bit about your career. So I share a similar background, uh, although I was in the financial securities uh, investment and insurance background. I, I, I dealt a little bit with people who were in the mortgage background, but uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of crossover between what you've done professionally and what I've been doing. For sure. Yeah. I, I was a private money mortgage broker. Um, I had the advantage of my family, my father, uh, even though I wasn't raised by him, for my entire childhood, that's what he was doing professionally. And I would visit him once a month. So he would kind of indoctrinate me with, uh, you know, personal responsibility and investment strategy and things like that. So from a very young age, I got both libertarian indoctrination as well as financial planning and economic education. So with those, and then my, my stepdad and my mom also had many of those traits as well. They were very conservative in, in their finances. So all three of them kind of combined and, and put this information into me very young so when I came out of college, I worked for my, my dad's uh, company for like four or five years, um, never made a lot of money, uh, definitely learned that I was going to have to do this on my own if I, if I wanted to make real money because you know, my dad just wasn't going to give it to me. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I branched out and I, I started my own company kind of in competition with him, uh, but he ended up retiring. And because of the relationships I had built with many of his investors, uh, they they came along with me. So, uh, in my first year in business, I did more in in revenue than my dad did in his last after thirty years in business. So that was huge, and I did it with no employees, whereas he had had six. So that was 
massive and and that totally changed my life. So all of the hard work paid off, um, all of the patience paid off. And for the next seven years after that, I ran my company and and made a good living. And because I, I was obviously in the mortgage field and in the real estate field, that was kind of my expertise. I took advantage of purchasing a lot of uh, depressed assets in 2010 through 2015. And I kind of would hold them for two or three years and then I would sell them off. And and I just kind of grew my nest egg year after year and house after house and loan after loan. And um, you know, by the time 2020 rolled around and the lockdowns happened, I was at a position of financial freedom that I didn't have to continue to risk my investors' capital in a in an economic environment that I felt was extremely perilous. I thought that that as a fiduciary for my investors, because keep in mind I was a private money mortgage broker, so I'm not getting money from the Federal Reserve. I am taking real people's hard earned life savings and I'm lending it out on first trustees against real estate. So. I have to be very sure of those investments because these people rely on that income. And as a fiduciary, I didn't feel very confident in lending that money out in that environment because I understood that the lockdowns putting so many millions of people out of work, you would eventually have a, a knock-on effect that damaged you know, via renters, via mortgage payments, you would have a foreclosure crisis. And I, I decided not to lend in that environment. I basically closed shop. I, I do a handful of loans, you know, like one, one a month or something just mm-hmm. to kind of keep myself afloat. But for the most part, it's just with my my family's capital. It's no longer with, or my capital, it's no longer with uh, you know outside investors. So that's, that's the arc. That's how I got here. Well, you hit the sweet spot with your career right in between both financial bubbles, right? The 2009 and then 2020. Kind and, of, uh, kind of. I, 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 came, I came in in 08. So okay. I, my job for my dad's company was to liquidate all of the foreclosures. So I wasn't making any money. I was I was an hourly employee who was responsible for liquidating over a hundred foreclosed properties, and it was a nightmare. Um, so I wouldn't say that I came in at the perfect time. The perfect time probably would have been 04, because yeah, then I could have actually been lending the money up through the bubble, making all of that that extra commission income and things like that. Uh, my job was was cleaning up the mess of a bunch of terrible investments. So. Yes, yes and no. But but simultaneously it was a huge advantage because I understood that that in that depressed asset arena I was able to go and acquire some of my first properties in my life that were some of the best investments I ever made in my life. Sure, and you learned uh, the school of hard knocks there, right? Uh, when times got tough, right? I sure did. Yeah, and and that honestly it couldn't have been better because what it taught me was that in a bubble environment you're going to have a tremendous amount of malinvestment. So as a fiduciary for my investors and as the underwriter that was looking at all of the risks of all of the new loans we were doing, I, I, was, I was schooled on, okay, this, is, this reminds me of this foreclosure we had back in 08. So I would just be like, no, we're not, we're not going there. Um, so I became a very conservative uh, broker. And, and I think that my investors really appreciated it. Word spread quickly. And I just had, I mean, I still have a huge waiting list of investors that would like to invest with me because I underwrote so conservatively. Um, unfortunately, in this environment, I just don't feel like doing it. Right. right. I kind of feel the same way as you. I've been in insurance and securities, like I said, for a number of years. It's going on 15 years now. And as soon as the lockdown started, I was like, you know what? I need to start learning something different. I actually took up podcasting and I was like, you know what? Just in case uh, the whole system collapses. I want to be able to know that uh, I'm not going to rely on, on the Federal Reserve system to to make my income. You know, I want to have different types of strategies for that. So, yeah, this is a this is a really perilous investing environment, and that's been another part of my show is that I'm trying to to really warn people that you can make a lot of money in this in this period because there's so much federal funds that are just flooding everything. So basically, like any asset that you've bought over the past year has kicked ass because there's just been so much Fed stimulus that's been pumped in the system and liquidity is flying everywhere. Everyone feels like a genius. Uh, you know, any cryptocurrency you bought over the past year, you're like, oh, this is the best investment of my life. And I, you know, I'm happy for you, but you should realize that it's, it's kind of made up. You know, it's, it's a product of a huge amount of fiat currency that, is, that has flooded the system. So I'm just pleading with people to show caution, have um, tight stops on, on whatever investments they have so that they can get out and and just be cautious cuz i mean you the the one thing is a bubble will run a lot longer than you expect 
but when it comes down, it comes down fast. So mm-hmm. you just gotta, you gotta get luckier or be real, real smart. I don't know which. Diversify your skill set. All right, guys, let's take a quick second. I want to thank our awesome sponsor for today's show, which is Pack Crest Botanicals. If you listen to episode 55 of this show, then you heard my conversation with Michael Pickens. He is the CEO of Pack Crest Botanicals, which offers the highest quality herbal supplements, natural topicals, and CBD hemp products. They also carry Delta 8 vape cartridges. Now, Delta 8 is fully legal in all 50 states, and unlike regular Delta 9 cannabis, when you take it, you get a nice relaxing body sensation without the anxiety or paranoia you sometimes get with recreational products. With Pack Crest, your medicine gets shipped directly to your home. It comes in a little undisclosed box and ready to go. Pack Crest Botanicals also has full spectrum tinctures, adaptogen teas, mushroom blends, and even topicals and balms. So go to packcrestbotanicals.com. The listeners of this program will get a 30% discount on their first order. Just type in the word Invictus at checkout. That's packcrestbotanicals.com with discount code Invictus for 30% off. They don't skimp on quality because the stuff they sell is the stuff they want to use. Now let's get back to the show. I gather, Clint, that from some of your other episodes, you've been uh, kind of an entrepreneur most of your life, huh? Yeah. Yeah. When I was a kid, I uh, <laughs> I think I was just, I, it's just, I was very, I was very money oriented. Like, I, I don't think I've ever lost a game of Monopoly when I was growing up. I was just like, this is, I just love, I love competition. I love money. I looked at business like a competition. So that's how I was kind of built. Um, I'm the same way with sports. I'm the same way with everything, honestly. Mm-hmm. I'm just a very competitive person. Um, so uh, when I was a kid, actually in middle school, I sold, they, uh, they had a ban on candy. So I was like a little, you know, middle school drug dealer. I was okay. selling fun dip. That I, I, my dad bought me, uh, you know, in, in bulk from, I think it was Price Club back then, but Costco today. And, and I would sell them. They were like seven cents a piece and I would sell them for 75 cents. So I was making like 11X on my money. And, and my, my dad was like, he's like, man, you're really going through this fun dip. I was like, I don't eat any of it. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? And um, I was making a hundred bucks a week as a, you know, 11 year old. And I was, that was my first uh, exploit in entrepreneurialism. I got suspended from school or threatened with it, and I ended up stopping. But you know that you could you could tell my my makeup early on. Right on, yeah. I think uh, I were, I remember when I was in Boy Scouts, I would sell Christmas trees. That was our that was our thing uh, to always go camping every single year. So I would sell Christmas trees, but I would just knock on every single door in the neighborhood because I'm like, you know what? I want to go to camp for not just one week, but you know, three or four weeks, but I had to make <laughs> right. X amount of dollars. So I'm like, I'm going to sell everything I can right there. So, yep, for sure. But, but it's great. It's great. So, however, you said that uh, we're in perilous times. And of course, you know, you and I aren't the first ones saying that. So you, uh, you saw the writing on the wall for what's happening in, uh, in 2020 and 2021. And uh, you decided that you were going to go into a transition in your career. Was it just the lockdowns that prompted that? I mean, obviously your show is called Liberty Lockdown, but uh, was there something else that uh, kind of, uh, Brought you down that path? Um, I mean, honestly, the the environment in real estate was already nearing bubble territory mm-hmm. pre-lockdown. So I was already becoming more and more concerned about price levels. So I was I was leaning towards reducing, I mean, not leaning, I was reducing uh, outflow and I was reducing my income tremendously because I was trying to be very conservative. Uh, but when the lockdowns happened and the, and the Fed, you know, turned on the printing press full speed, and we, you know, borrowed and printed seven trillion dollars over the past uh, twelve months, and it looks like Biden's going to run another four trillion tonight if he gets his way. So all of that combined adds up to an environment that I just, I just can't see as being sustainable. At, at this point, my view is we either have a re, a repeat of 0809, where you have a deflationary collapse because there's so much debt in this system, and there's more debt today than there was in 07. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that's one option. The alternative option is that they just continue to print and we go, you know, Weimar Germany or Venezuela modern day. So either way, you got to hedge both ways. And that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, but yeah, I, I do not, I do not think that we're in a good investment environment. So I had not heard that uh, the Biden wants to be spending some more money. Are we expecting some more stimulus money or something? Four trillion. Yeah. It's his, uh, I forget what they called it. It's like his American home plan or something, but he's going to, he's going to talk about it tonight and it's supposed to be 4 trillion. 
So it's going to, you know, go towards infrastructure or whatever, whatever, but you know what it's really going to, it's going to the, you know, the cronies that, <laughs> that got him elected in the first place as, as all these bills have. And I just think that we're at 30 trillion. We're going to be at 35 trillion in, in national debt, probably by the end of this year. It will be 50 trillion by the end of Biden's presidency or Kamala Harris's presidency in 2024. It, there is a tipping point at which you have a bang moment. And I think that we're nearing it. So I am trying to, you know, get out early before, instead of too late because too late is going to be really ugly. Yeah. You know, that's interesting because we can get into economic philosophy here, but uh, I'm still scratching my head when I, you know, I read the Austrian economics or I, uh, you know, I just, I just follow this thing. And like you said, there is a tipping point. Mm-hmm. But we thought that tipping point was going to be a couple trillion, right? And then 10 trillion and then, you know, 20 trillion. And you're saying 50 trillion. I mean, wh- how do we define when that tipping point is going to happen? Because it seems like the government can just keep printing money, keep printing money. And as long as we have a military fighting wars overseas, that it doesn't matter. The, you know, that's modern monetary theory, right? So they just keep printing money till, till oblivion. Well, that's, that's the basis of modern monetary theory. I, I don't buy into it at all. I think that, that ultimately... There is there is a tipping point. I don't know if it's thirty five trillion or fifty trillion. You're you're absolutely correct that the government can print as much as they want. It is not correct though that the dollar will buy whatever you want if you do that, and and that's why I think that they will have to make a decision. Are they going to completely annihilate the U.S. dollar and shift to some new fiat currency via uh, central bank digital currency, and can they do that transition smoothly without everything falling apart? I don't think they can. I don't have much faith in the government to be able to do that safely. And ultimately, this debt is unsustainable. It is, it is only sustained by the fact that we have unbelievably record low interest rates, which, by the way, our Federal Reserve is monetizing. They are buying that debt. So we have officially gone into Zimbabwe-type level, where we're, we are monetizing our own debt. We can't even get people to buy it sometimes. Um, so I think that all of this adds up to a short fuse on this stuff. And and like I said, I think it's either going to be that they decide, okay, we need to pull back. We need to in- increase interest rates slightly because inflation is getting out of hand and you're going to see people rioting, p- pensioners that can't buy their medicine and stuff like that, people that can't get food. Uh, if they go that direction, I think that they'll they'll have you know such social discord that they will end up with um, pulling back and increasing interest rates to try and crush inflation, in which case you have a deflationary collapse, which should be the best buying opportunity in the history of your life. Um, so that's that's what I'm banking on. But then I'm also hedging the other way, where if they just decide to go full on Venezuela and print to oblivion, uh, then cryptocurrency, physical metals, things like that should should hold up. Well, you know, I... I don't know if you've ever read the book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, but uh, sure. it talks all about the, the Federal Reserve. And uh, for all the 700 pages that that book is, I've realized that the Federal Reserve has one job, and that's just to prevent people from panicking. <laughs> yeah, that is basically their job. Well, not just to keep them from panicking, but also think, make them think that, uh, that this is normal, that it's okay, that, that there right. should be some arbiter of, of the most important mechanism for making investment decisions, which is the rate at which you can borrow money. Uh, none of this is natural. None of it is good. And and I think we're going to find out exactly how not natural and how not good this is very soon. So it's a good time to start uh, stocking up on your ammo and on your, like you said, your cryptocurrency, gold and silver and whatever else you can, you know? <laughs> I, I think so. I mean, it's it's important to hedge both ways though. Like I, I'm probably the only libertarian that thinks that holding cash in this environment might make sense too as a hedge. Because if I'm correct, and if they do increase interest rates as, as uh, inflation gets out of control, you should see a major correction in all assets across the board, in which case that cash will be king because you'll be able to buy those, those deflated assets at the bottom. And, and if, you ha- if you're fully invested, you can't do that. Not to mention all of your investments should uh, you know, precipitously decline. So I don't, I don't recommend full exposure either way. I think that a hedging uh, bet makes the most sense. And I think that that's that's prudent advice in any environment, but it's particularly good advice in this environment. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I I, uh, I don't know if you listen to uh, all the podcasts I do. Obviously, we just met, but uh, you know, I, I I was heavily influenced by Jason Stapleton. Are you familiar with, with his program? I I know him, but I'm not super familiar. All right. So he has a a, a podcast he calls Wealth, Power, and Influence, mm-hmm. and it's really I've taken on his mantra of controlling the source of your income. 
you know, being able to be flexible, being nomadic, because, uh, you know, we, we can we can talk all day about, uh, you know, what the proper investment strategy is, what we should do, do with our money. But I, I really think a good idea is I talked a little bit about entrepreneurism, right? But that's where I, I you know, I really think that this idea of uh, controlling the source, be, becoming to have not just a, a variety of skill sets, but uh, being able to take your money wherever you go. You, you mentioned a couple of times on your show that uh, you want to get out of California. Mm-hmm. And that's probably a smart idea. You have any idea uh, where would you go? I mean, I'm, I actually got approved for a media pass for Freedom Fest, so I'm gonna do an RV trip starting mid July that goes through um, Mount Rushmore because that's where Freedom Fest is at. It's a four day festival, big libertarian event. Get to hang out with Dave Smith and Tom Woods and all these people. It'll be cool. Um, interview them on my show, which will be really neat. And then from there, I plan to hit every state that doesn't have income tax and every state that didn't have severe lockdowns and decide if any of them feel like home. And if one of them does, I'll stay there and, you know, plant my roots. And if none of them do, then I'll look globally. There you go. So uh, a lot of people are talking about that. Uh, are you familiar with uh, Mikhail Thorup and his uh, expat uh, money show? I am. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I'm, I'm talking to my wife about uh, what our exit strategy is. We're actually planning a trip of all places to go to California this summer. Well, if it's if it's reopened, it's a beautiful state. I wouldn't recommend living here and paying taxes here, but it's a I mean, I'm born and raised here. I love California, so don't get me wrong. It's not it's not on fire yet, um, but it is definitely not somewhere I would advise anyone moving to. Well, I tease my brother if he's listened to this show. I'm going to tease him again in public because he left the state of Florida to move to California. I'm like, "Wait a minute. What are you doing? That's backwards." <laughs> yeah, that's that seems totally crazy to me. <laughs> well, it was it was it was for family reasons, but uh, you know, oh, okay. so my wife's never been to California. I've been there a dozen times and we're like, yeah, we're going to check it out. So we're going to do the road trip. But uh, just this idea of, like you said, being able to just travel abroad and take your your income source with you, I think is a very smart thing to do because who knows what's going to happen. Exactly. And if you're, if you're in that position, uh, I think you'll have the best chance of surviving what might come, um, particularly with all, all of the unrest in this country, all of the debt, all of the uh, the social discord. I mean, I just think it's if you're if you're blessed enough to be in that position, man, good good for you. Uh, take advantage of it because a lot of people are not going to be. They're going to have to just batten down the hatches and weather whatever comes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned earlier that uh, you were introduced to libertarianism at a young age. How how did that go down? Uh, really, the same way I got the the economic education. My my dad on these when I was growing up, I would see him you know, one week in a month. And he, he was an entrepreneur. He ran a, a nightclub out in okay. Ridgecrest, Ridgecrest, California. And we would do these four hour road trips, uh, one week in a month, four hours each way. So he would, we would just have four hours to, you know, listen to music or talk. And, and he would give me all this indoctrination into, you know, the founding fathers and, and what, um, the principles of America were and why taxation was, criminal and all these other things that, you know, most six-year-olds don't get told. Uh, so I got it very, very young and it stuck with me. I mean, I, I think that, that that spirit of rebellion and passion for liberty really was ingrained in my soul. Like it was just, and it spoke to me anyways. I think I was built to be yeah. this from, from birth, honestly, because I'm just such a rebellious person. I don't like being told what to do. That's why I work for myself. I don't even have any employees. I'm just like, lone wolf status. I, I love being the, uh, the commander of my ship. And, and I think that I just, everything about it really fits me. And then later on, I started to, obviously with Ron Paul, his campaign, I got to feel a lot of hope and feel like, oh man, man maybe we might actually do something with this ideology. We might not just be doomed to neoconservative forever, uh, neoconservatism forever. And then obviously his campaign fell apart and then his son's campaign fell apart. And then uh, the Libertarian Party fell apart and everything else. Uh, so I'm very hopeful again, though, because I, I'm i now getting involved. I'm now making it kind of my life's mission to make sure that we give the LP one last shot at uh, at making a difference. And along with Dave Smith and Piquinones and all these other people, I think that we have a shot of really doing it. So I'm, I'm grateful for another opportunity at, at spreading this message, message in a, a compelling way. Yeah, that's great. I- 
I hate having this conversation, but it's almost uh, it's almost necessity because sure. uh, I talk about the uh, the Libertarian Party. Now, I was introduced to to the Liberty Movement through Ron Paul, and it took me probably three or four years before I found the Libertarian Movement, uh, the Libertarian Party rather. And uh, I spent about a year and a half. I actually met my wife with the Libertarian Party. Love it. But uh, her and I quickly realized that some of the people who are in that party just they drove us nuts, and we just had to we had to get out of there. So now, after 2020, the year we had, and you know, we can talk about the marketing failures that happened in that party. And you know, you mentioned Pete and Dave, and you know, there's this whole thing about let's uh, let's reimage the the Libertarian Party and and see how we can make it better. Mm-hmm. Do you really think there's a chance there to do that? Oh yeah, not not only not only do I think there's a chance, I think it's all but assured. I think the Mises Caucus is absolutely going to take over the Libertarian Party, and we are absolutely going to control the messaging for the Libertarian Party for the foreseeable future after that. Um, I'm, I wouldn't be involved if I didn't think that there was a chance of prevailing in this, because ultimately, like I said, I'm financially free. I don't need to be doing this. This is not, <laughs> this, I'm not trying to make a career out of it. This is just a passion of mine. Sure, and, sure. And, I, and I really appreciate these people that, that saw 2020 the same way I did as the most tyrannical experience in my entire fucking life. Mm-hmm. And now they want to message accordingly. And, and the reason I think my show took off, I think the reason my Twitter account has such a you know, passionate following is because I became that spokesperson to some extent for those, those dissidents within the LP that felt like they were being abandoned and that their principles weren't being espoused in any meaningful, passionate way. Um, so I, I think that we have a chance of doing something really good with it. And, and, I, by by really good, I don't <clears throat> I don't necessarily mean Dave or whoever else ends up running uh, for the LP as actually becoming the president of the United States. I'm not even sure that you can save this country even if we got someone in in 2024. Like I think our budgetary uh, crisis is is almost beyond repair. So, uh, but the key is uh, same same mission of my show is to reach as many people that understand what's going on to some extent educating them a little bit further on why it's so fucked up and then trying to get them to prepare themselves and protect their families and, and maybe consolidate into a single state, have some sort of secessionary, peaceful secessionary movement to allow for us to weather, you know, the disillusion of the United States. Um, I really think that that's, that's what the future holds. And, you know, we'll see, we'll see if I'm right or wrong, but I'm, I'm pretty confident. I checked out one of your shows. I think it was probably episode 19 where you were talking about your passion behind this movement and what it is you're doing and everything like that. And it's really interesting thought process because at the root of the libertarian movement or the liberty movement, I should say, is this idea of the Declaration of Independence, you know, the things that America stood for. Mm-hmm. I'm constantly asking myself this question is, is there ever a return back to that? Is there ever a return back to the roots of this country? Or are we going to some kind of future where, you know, you mentioned secessionism, where it's a different thing altogether. But Clint, do you think that we're going to be able to restore United States? I'm not saying make, make America great again, you know, no MAGA red hat here thing. But do you really think that the, those principles that uh, Jefferson and, and, and our founding fathers really uh, astuted to? Are they, uh, you think that they're going to be able to restore that? Or are we looking towards some kind of different future? Yeah. Um, well, I'll start, I'll start out by being very negative and saying, no, there's no chance in hell that those principles become the majority principles of this entire nation once again. I don't believe it's possible. I believe that the education system has led us down a path that makes that completely impossible. However, I do believe that those ideas live on in me and they live on in you, and they live on in everybody else that's involved with the Mises Caucus, and they live on with a lot of conservatives too, um, maybe even a few liberals. I don't know, but <laughs> they they still they still you know they course through us. I mean those those ideas are unkillable. They're going to they're going to survive whatever comes. And I think that ultimately my my optimism comes in the idea that that we are all. And I got actually got this from Ben Armani when, when he was on my show. Uh, they are all contain. We are all containers for these concepts, mm-hmm. and we will take them to disparate parts of the globe, and we will create little patches of liberty there. And and I think that that's the beautiful part of this ideology is that it doesn't need a nation. I mean, we can do this collectively, voluntarily, on our own, and and I think we will. Um, so my hope is that we have a peaceful secession movement in the United States, so that you can still have 
some sort of a structure that appeals to the conservatives because for the most part, I get along with them fine. Um, I think that they we can we can sway them on the issues we disagree on most, which is militarism and the war on drugs and maybe harsh immigration laws and things like that. I feel like we could we could definitely find some common ground and some compromise to to live amongst those people and not feel like we're slaves in our own land, which is how I feel now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think that I think that there's a lot of reason for optimism, but in the interim, I think it's going to be very very treacherous, and and that's why I'm not looking forward to it. You know, I'm not anxious to see what's going to come over the next five years. Um, but at the same time, it's very exciting time to be alive. So you might as well enjoy it, I guess. You can think in the future, 5, 10, 15 years from now, what the history books are going to say. And, and, and those of us who are, you know, right in this moment right now, the, how we acted to, uh, you know, the, the tyrannical government and, you know, those who, uh, uh, who left, you know, the secessionists, uh, I think the history books are going to be really interesting in the future. Well, as, as is usually the case, the victor will write that history book. So let's hope that, uh, <laughs> that we win some. Victor. Let's hope that we win some level of independence. And, and for the record, uh, when I say that, I do not mean that I want to like annihilate my enemies. I just want to be left alone. You know, I just want to be away from them. And, and the people that are teaching critical race theory in schools and indoctrinating children into thinking that we're everything that, that matters about us is based off of our, our skin color. I just I want nothing to do with it. I want nothing to do with people that think that MMT is the way to go, that you can just print to oblivion and that that everything will be fine. I want I want away from all of that. I just think it's all toxic. It's all dangerous. It's all unsustainable. And, and if I can do that and do that with my loved ones, that's all I care about. And, and just to be very crystal clear on this, this has nothing to do with skin tone. I am not trying to secede to be with white people. Like <laughs> I love people of all colors and, and this is purely an ideological separation that I believe in. And I think that it's necessary. I think that the country is, is at each other's throats and, and it's not, it's not because of race, even though that's what the news might tell you. Um, I think it's because of, of just a very sick status system that is nearing its end and, and, and the nearing the end of the, the empire. Yeah, yeah. And great was the fall of almost every empire that existed, right? It was. Yeah. And I, I honestly, I think that's what we're living through. Like, I, I really believe that, you know, actually, no matter who wins, I think that that will be what the, the history books will say, is that this was the end of, you know, the the age of American empire. And and I think that, it, you know, it's just a, all that really varies here is like, what what is the end result of the end of that empire? Is it is it gulags and you know, mass assassination campaigns and all sorts of crazy stuff, or is it? Can it be kind of a USSR separation where they they split off and you have oligarchs that take assets and you have? I mean, honestly, I think that's probably as good as we could hope for. I'm just hoping for you know one state. Give me one. That's all I want. Give me one state, mm-hmm. and then you know you guys can have the rest. Good luck. I like how you said it was a, a container. You know, that you and that uh, conversation between you and Vin was was amazing. And this idea of liberty is a it's a container, right? And we can take that container anywhere we want it. So it's it's mm-hmm. not necessarily uh, within any particular borders. So uh, you know, I'm I'm gonna find whatever state you're talking about and, uh, and join you there. So. <laughs> well, and and yeah, and for the record, like even if they don't give us a state and I have to leave the United States, like that's okay too. You know, but I'm just saying for for the benefit of all the people I know and love. I think that that would be ideal because not everybody is in a financial position where they can actually flee the country entirely. So my hope is that we can just have a peaceful secession movement in America. And, and I think that that would probably be the best compromise we could come to. But ultimately, these ideas don't even need you know, physical containers. We're, we're talking electronically right now. These ideas are floating to thousands of people right now. Every tweet I send out gets you know, 20,000, 100,000. I've had one tweet get 15 million views. So, and I could have done that from Antarctica. No one would know. Um, so I think that these ideas will live on as long as we do, or as long as, you know, the people that believe in them do. So I'm very, I'm very hopeful in that regard. Uh, but like I said, in the interim, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> well, you know, on this show, I like to talk more about white pill than black pill perspective. However, you know, there, you have to, you have to understand that, you know, we are in perilous times right now. So, you know, is there a, a revolution at our foot? Are we going to have another civil war? Who knows? But, uh, you know, the idea of liberty is interesting because in my study of liberty and, and, and power, and um, I'm reading a book called uh, the, Machiavelli- the Machiavellians by James Burnham right now. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, he talks about uh, Machiavelli, how he wanted to unite Italy because uh, um, it was back in the day in, in, in the 1600s. The, uh, the country had a bunch of different city states running instead of uh, having a united front. And most people look at Machiavelli and say, this guy is horrible. He's got some bad ideas, but he was really just a political scientist. And uh, as I'm reading this book, it's, it's quite interesting because he talks about uh, how power is, div- is, is divided. And there's only a small percentage of people who really, uh, who really want power, who really have power, but yet they tend to rule over everybody. Most people just want safety and security. They just want to be, uh, they live their lives into whatever they think uh, they want to do. And then you look at the, the history of this country, and I think they say like between three and 6% of people fought for the liberty that we have in mm-hmm. this country. Yep. And so- I guess my question, Clint, would be, do you really feel that this, uh, this idea, the spirit of liberty exists in the hearts of, of, of many people in this country, or is it a, only a very small percentage of people? Well, for those that are willing to fight and die for it, I think it exists in very few. Um, but I think there's probably enough if they were to galvanize, honestly. Um, but I'm not interested in a violent revolution. So my, to me, the key is to have, and I believe that probably 25% or so still really value freedom and liberty. Uh, and I think that they would fight for it to some extent. Again, I don't mean physically just, you know, fight for it. Um, so I think that there's, there's a real reason for optimism. If you can get those people to, I, I just understand that like, if you live in New York or California or any of these blue States that are treating you like a slave for the past year, you got to go, you have to get out of there. There's no saving it. I'm sorry. You know, just, cut your losses, folks. Like I'm born and raised in California. I absolutely love it. But the truth is I can't do anything to save this state. I'm sorry. There's just, it's an impossibility. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go and I'm going to find people that see the world a little bit closer to how I do. And it's going to be culture shock for sure. Cause I'm going to be with a bunch of gun toting people. I wasn't raised with guns. I wasn't that type of guy, um, but I, I think I'll be fine. And I think that, that I need to be around those types of people so that we can we can fight to maintain what, what little freedoms we have left and hopefully start to crawl claw back some of the freedoms that we've had stolen from us. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that's the biggest problem is that particularly because the conservatives were the, you know, the, the wall guards that were supposed to be protecting our liberty. They weren't and they failed. And I think that it's important that we talk to conservatives like that and we let them know, look, despite all your best efforts, Almost all of our freedoms are gone now. So conservatism is dead. You need a revolutionary spirit. I mean, you need to to have a progressively liberty-minded spirit where you are looking for progress towards liberty. And, and I think that it's important that people stop trying to conser- conserve this system, which has failed. And, and I think that uh, if we can get back to some of the root, you know, the basic fundamental principles that that all many of us, like I said, 25% or so of this country probably believe in still and, and then consolidate into a handful of States and, and just really, really lock it, lock it in, lock it down. Um, but not lock it down. I, I think that that's our, our best opportunity. That's a plan of words, right? With Liberty lockdown, you want to lock exactly. down the spirit of Liberty, but uh, we don't want lockdowns. <laughs> exactly. We gotta, we gotta lock down our freedom, but uh, not lock down our Liberty. I don't know how, you know, I'll work on that one. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's just interesting to me. I I, I love studying human nature, and you know, going back to this idea that uh, you know a small portion of us just really, you know, we we believe in this idea, and uh, I think that some of the principles that uh, that we teach in this circle can uh, can be useful in almost any system, right? I mean. We, we think about some of the horrible regimes out there, right? You know, I wouldn't want to live in North Korea right now, right? I, I think that's probably going to be the most horrible place in, in the world. Do I imagine America be coming to that point? I, you know, I don't know. I think that uh, <laughs> it's possible. Not, not unless they disarm. If they disarm us, then yes. But otherwise, no, there's no way. Well, you know, people aren't going to willfully give up their guns. They, I don't know if they can if they can disarm us. But uh, I saw an ad on uh, on Facebook today about, uh, you know, they're they're giving you uh, deals for turning in your guns or whatever or not. They give you you know some money for that. So. Well, that's that's exactly what they did in Australia. They had you know voluntary buybacks, and then they made it mandatory eventually. So, um, yeah, I I think that the most important thing to maintain liberty in this country is not to be violent, but to have the capacity for violence. And if you give up your weapons it's game over. So don't. (laughs) 
a lot of the people I listen to this show are, uh, are what well, would I call the Christian libertarian. So I, I, I talked to a lot of pacifists and, uh, you know, I kind of I, I kind of like that uh, philosophy. But mm-hmm. uh, what you just said makes a lot of sense, too. You know, you give up your weapons, then you're done for. But what well, about you those can- people? What about those people who, you know, who, who want to preach the message of liberty, who want to be left alone, who, who take more of a spiritual approach and, and nonviolent? You know, are, are they done for or, or, you know, or how do they how do they protect themselves? So? Well, I, I mean, I, I believe that unless your enemy is willing to disarm themselves, you can't. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you're if you're so much of a pacifist that you're willing to allow a dictator and a tyrant to control you just to maintain the peace. Uh, I wish you luck. I mean, I, I hope that you're praying a lot because, <laughs> because you're going to need it. Um, right. You know, like I said, I am not interested in violence either. I'm a very peaceful person. I, I wasn't even a gun owner for the first, you know, 35 years of my life. So I'm not, I am not the militaristic interventionist type of guy at all, but I am very much interested in defending myself and defending my family and defending my liberty. And, and I encourage those that are even if you're of the pacifist stance, I mean, just because you own a weapon doesn't mean you're going to hurt anybody. This is about defense. It's about the capacity to protect yourself, to send a message that you are not going to go quietly. Now, whether or not you opt to go quietly is up to you. That's your choice in the moment. Um, but I would still encourage you to be armed because it sends a huge message when there's a, a I mean, we're the most heavily armed populace in history. We have, I believe we have, um, I can't even remember the numbers, but it's like a billion guns here. So <laughs> we're like, we are strapped up folks. And, and I think that that's the main reason that, that our, we are very unlikely to go the route of North Korea. Um, but if you, if you allow that to happen, good luck. I mean, I, I really believe that that is, that is ultimately what they do prior to any sort of genocidal uh, tyrant. They always disarm us. So I'm not going that path. I don't know about you, you know? Right, right. No, it's uh, um, I totally understand what you're saying. It's, it's, it's interesting. I'm kind of crossed between this idea of, uh, you know, fighting for liberty and liberty being more of just a mindset. You know, obviously, you know, we can fight within a political system. I, you know, I don't know how much uh, progress we'll, we'll make in that. I mean, the Libertarian Party has been around for 50 years, but things are getting progressively worse. And then we got some people with uh, loud voices and, you know, and great uh, organization skills who are, who are trying to fight in that arena. But then at the same time, going back to what I said earlier, you know, being able to control the source of your income, being able to have that financial freedom, uh, understanding that liberty is more of a mindset uh, and, and a state of being rather than something that you, you know, actively go fight for. What, what do you stand in if I said something like that? Well, I think in a normal time period, any of those options would be beautiful. I think in a really cataclysmic societal shift, much like the one we're experiencing today, I think that it's important to have all of it. I think that you need to be a jack of all trades. You need to live it. You need to preach it. You need to love it. You need to embody it. I mean, you need to pray for it. You know, if you want to, if you want to go the religious route, I think that it is, it is really important that you attack it on all fronts. And, and I didn't feel that way when I was younger. Like I used to feel like, okay, it's enough to just vote libertarian. It's enough to just you know, get out there, maybe protest every once in a while if there's a war that <laughs> that you don't agree with, stuff like that. I don't think that's enough anymore. I think that that there has been too much pacifism and not pacifism, um, inactivity. You know, just a a willingness to be like, well, I'm I'm living a good freedom oriented life, so we we'll see what happens, kind of mentality. And like, yeah, that's great, and I and I support you in doing that a hundred percent. I just think that at this point, the system's so toxic, you're going to, I mean, you have had that lifestyle infringed on already. Because if you're anywhere in the United States, you have had mask mandates and some quasi lockdown for the most part. I mean, unless you're mm-hmm. lucky enough to be in, I think South Dakota didn't have one, but you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's no longer enough. I mean, you have to be involved on a, on a level that you may not be comfortable with. And, and that's why I encourage people to get involved with the Mises Caucus. If you listen to this and you like my, my worldview, trust me when I tell you, the Mises Caucus are the people that are pushing this message. They're the people that actually see, see the dire nature of the threat that we're facing, but they also have some really beautiful, peaceful, loving, freedom-oriented, liberty-oriented answers to these questions. And, and I think that once we have 
the uh, the lion's share of control within the LP, uh, we will have an opportunity to message to people in a way that that has never happened in my lifetime. And I think that that's our greatest opportunity to change the the fabric of the society to reach all of the dissidents of which there are many. And, and I think that that's going to be very hopeful. Um, so sorry for the long winded answer, but I just think it's, it's okay to be just focused on living free in your own life. I just simply don't think it's going to be enough moving forward. So I would encourage people to, to, uh, I don't know, reconsider that a little bit. Well, the idea of rugged individualism, that's, you know, resonates with a lot of libertarians, but now is the time to collectivize if you would for, Lack of a better word, you know, mm-hmm. go help your neighbor. Go, go yes. find those people who have like minds and, and, and form little communities, you know, whether it uh, be, you know, what they call freedom cells or, um, you know. Mutual defense. People, yeah, mutual defense. There you go. A lot of people are, you know, obviously virtually, uh, you know, we know that there's people out there, but I think it's uh, not only virtually con- connect with people, but physically connect with people. Yeah. No, I think that's exactly right. It's like, like I said, I don't like working with anybody. I have no employees. This is not in my nature to be joining a voluntary collective like I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in, in times of crisis, like if you were in a tribe and your, your tribe is starving and you're the guy that lives out on the fringe of the tribe and his own cabin never talks to anybody, but everybody's starving, are you going to just let everybody die? Or are you going to you know, pick up a spear and go join the hunting team to try and help bring in some food? I think that that's where we're at. And, and if you don't view it that way, I think you're making a mistake. I, genuinely, I do. Um, and I'm practicing what I'm preaching. You know, I, I laid myself off from a very lucrative job to, to make this my full-time focus. I am taking this extremely seriously. I really believe it. In my, in my bones, I feel it. I know that this country is not long for this earth. And I want to help guide it towards something that I would like to live in for the rest of my life, that I would like to raise a family in. I mean, I, I'm taking this personally. You know, this is, and I'm doing it for the next generation. Even if I don't end up having kids, like I still want to do it just because I believe that these ideas are beautiful. And I believe that humanity deserves to have this option of, of living free and, and, you know, being focused on love and not murder and, and, uh, and liberty instead of, you know, slavery. It's just, it's just, these are very, these are very hard, hard fought values that we got from, you know, our forefathers and, and I kind of refuse to just let them go without a fight. And I, I hope that people will join me in that fight. Cause I think it's, it's important that even the rugged individualists get a little bit, a little bit of teamwork oriented here, just, just for a couple of years. All right, please. <laughs> yeah. I can hear the passion in your voice and in your tweets and on your podcast that, that this is definitely something that's important, not only to you, it really is important to everybody. Most people uh, will just take it for granted. Most people don't realize how important uh, this issue of Liberty is, you know, I don't know if you, uh, if you consider Liberty uh, your highest priority, but it's definitely up there for me. You know, yeah, most I, people, I, I can't think of anything higher. <laughs> Well, without liberty, you really don't have much else. I mean, I think maybe love or something else is uh, the highest priority. But uh, you know, without that, uh, without that internal uh, ability to make choices, without somebody telling you what to do, having that you know boot on your neck, you know, what do you have? Well, yeah, and if you can't, if you can't love voluntarily, is it love? You know, like if it's not. Yeah, I think that I think that liberty is the highest highest calling for me. I mean, that or God, if that's your if that's your God. Um, you know, that's great too. I, I think that, that ultimately, like, I'm really taking a much more religious stance when it comes to these topics lately, because I, I believe that, that like, this is kind of my calling and I've never been a fate oriented type person. Um, but I really believe that like, I'm, I am here on this planet in this moment and I am in a financial position that allows me to, to voice these concerns, to try and wake people up. I think it's just, it's just, Either it's the craziest coincidence of all time, or I am I am meant to be doing this right now, and I feel I feel like I am I am following my Most High, as Ven Armani calls it. So I hope that I hope that people feel that passion, and I hope that they can get um, engaged and and you know feel feel it in their own lives because I know a lot of people feel lost right now. They feel like they've been abandoned by by the government that they once believed in, be it Trump or whatever leader that you idolized. I, I think that it's really important that people start to to forgive themselves for, for whatever they've, they've allowed to happen because I certainly allowed a lot to go wrong in this country too. I should have been fighting a lot earlier. Um, but then at the same time, use whatever sort of animosity or anger or sadness you have about the loss of this country that you so loved and funnel it into creating the country that you want to be a part of. 
or not a country, but you know what I'm saying. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah. I want to pick up on something you, uh, you subtly laid down there with, uh, you know, the time to become spiritual as Vin Armani says is now we're transform we're, we're, we're making a transformation until the mystical age, right? Yeah. And, uh, you gotta, if you, I don't know, there's many nihilists that listen to this program, but uh, it's time to start believing in something now. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, exactly. Like for Vin, that is, uh, Orthodox Christianity for me, it's Liberty like that. I, I really feel like my, and, and he even made this point, which is the funny thing because he's, he's obviously gone the Christian route, but his big point was like the entire declaration of independence, the, the entire founding fathers era, was personified by this, this unbelievable faith, you know, like they, we, we hold these truths to be, uh, these, we hold these truths to be self-evident and it's like all of it, it, there is no, there is no, it's just an assertion. They're not even making a case. They're like, we are free. Mm-hmm. And that is a religious doctrine in its, in its own right. So like, I don't know, I'm starting the church of libertarianism or something like, I, <laughs> I just want people to really, to really recognize how beautiful that is and how, how spiritual it is to just say like we are free and and in the in all of human history that was very abnormal unusual rare almost non-existent and that was only a couple hundred years ago so like value it appreciate it internalize it and then try to maintain it you know try to bring it back for for the next generations because they deserve to have the same beautiful existence that we had the opportunity to have right right well i think that's a white pill in itself so uh, I'm good. I'm glad <laughs> I try. I try to stay white pilled as often as possible. I mean, it, it's very daunting. Um, and I certainly have my black pilled tweets, but for the most part, I'm, I'm still optimistic. I think that, uh, that we have a lot of, a lot of opportunity in front of us. Well, Clint, you're my kind of guy. Uh, you know, I just found your podcast, but I, I love it. Like I said, I, I can feel your passion in your voice when you talk about this kind of stuff. Appreciate and, it. Uh, um, let me ask you this. I asked most of my guests, sometimes I forget, but, uh, Clint, are you Invictus? I'd say so. I'd say so. I mean, it, honestly, just be totally honest. It was a it was a new concept to me. I had to Google it when you sent it to me. Uh, but yeah, I do my best. Yeah. So that word means unconquerable. And uh, you know, if you have the resources at your disposal and you have the correct mindset and and the the people uh, at your side, I think that's uh, that's the easiest way to be to become in that uh, state of mind. So I totally agree, man. And and I think that. If there's anybody on this planet that's unconquerable, it's probably me. I am not the type to take orders, and I am definitely in a position that uh, I can I can stand up for myself right now. So, I, I hope that there's a lot more people out there like me that are are willing to fight for this because I think it's a it's the time. All right. Well, you want to give a plug to your show one last time here? Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, at Liberty Lockpot on Twitter and Liberty Lockdown on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, everywhere else. Um, and Liberty Lockdown on Instagram as well, even though I only started using that recently. So it will look like I don't have any followers, but the uh, the Twitter at Liberty Lockpot is what I use most of it. And then if you want to check out the show uh, for video, YouTube, Liberty Lockdown, and for podcasts, it's anywhere, Liberty Lockdown. Thank you so much for having me on, man. It was a blast. You're welcome. Thank you, Clint. And uh, you have a great night. Absolutely, brother. I want to thank everyone for tuning into the show today. I also want to thank Clint for coming on. Though we are small in numbers, it's guys like him that keep me inspired to continue doing this show. I want to remind everyone that if you like this program and feel it adds value to you, then please subscribe to your favorite podcatcher. You can check out this program on a weekly basis in audio form, and usually by midweek I'll have the video posted on YouTube. Please share it with three of your friends. If you want to leave me a review on Apple, or I'm now also on the Podchaser app, please leave me your kind words there. Or if you think I suck, then tell me why, because I do want to provide the right value for your time. I'm also on your favorite social media websites, including Twitter and Minds.com. I have a Facebook group that needs more attention under the Invictus Mind. And finally, if you are looking for any advice as to how to save money, get out of debt, or are looking for a unique business idea, then you can join the Invictus newsletter by texting the word INVICTUS to 33777. There, I'll send you some great stuff about business ideas and the show. So that's it for now. Come back next week for another edition of the Invictus Mind. And until then, be good, be productive, and stay free. Take care, my friends.